you. And thanks so much, everyone, for uh, joining us. This is uh, yet another edition of our uh, Path to Becoming a CFO uh, interview series. And I am really excited about this one. Uh, you know, Robin is incredibly accomplished in lots of different ways, but you know, professionally, she uh, has been in the industry for a long time. She's been at Tandem Computers, PeopleSoft, uh, Gilead uh, Sciences. She's been in CFO roles and other finance uh, leadership roles. But for the last few years now, she's also been on the board of Alphabet, which is Google's parent company, Salesforce, Honeywell, a lot of companies that we are very familiar with and uh, companies with a lot of zeros uh, in, in their market caps, right? So I'd love to dig into uh, that with Robin too. And uh, so, you know, really excited about hearing about her experience and career journey and things like that. So Robin, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Tejo, for having me. Awesome. So let us just dive right in uh, and, and talk about uh, your, your career first, right? And, you know, we were talking about this on our prep call about how you, you, you made that interesting choice where in about 33 years, you were largely in three companies, right? About on average, over say nine to 10 years in each of those companies, Tandem, PeopleSoft, and then, then Gilead. That's an interesting choice, especially in this day and age when people are jumping around a lot more. So, so tell me a bit about your approach there. What, what led you to stay uh, for a long time at these companies? Was that a deliberate choice? And you know, I'd love to uh, learn more about that. Yeah, it was interesting when we were talking about this before, Tejo, I hadn't really thought about it that way um, in terms of length of time, but you're right. I think over the last 33 years, I worked at four companies, nine at Gilead, nine, I'm sorry, nine at Tandem, nine at PeopleSoft, that was driven by acquisition. Then I went to Hyperion in my first CFO role um, for 18 months, but that was because we were also acquired by Oracle like um, PeopleSoft. And then um, I was just finished up almost 12 years with Gilead. So I would say transactions was, was part of it. Um, and, and then I, thought, I stepped back and said, well, let me think about this. Why did I stay? And you know, I grew up in the Midwest and maybe there's this loyalty thing. I always chuckle because I remember um, early on, which I did, I, I worked at probably six companies over my overall career. And I remember early on kind of figuring out through my early roles what I didn't want to do, um, which led me to really think about the companies that I was choosing um, in the industry that I was interested in, where I want to live, ultimately coming to California. Um, but I think most importantly, really getting my teeth into a role, wanting something operational. And it really was the fact that even though I was at these companies for a long time, I was in these informal as well as formal rotation programs. So my roles changed every two, two and a half years. And even as I moved up, I remember at PeopleSoft, my last role where I was corporate controller, I was in that role for about five to six years, but the, my um, um, breadth of responsibilities kept increasing. Um, so I was able to move around, you know, I was an expat at PeopleSoft, was, that's how I started. Um, and I'm a big believer in breadth and depth. And I would say the reason for staying is I was really increasing the breadth as well as the depth of my understanding as I moved up in the organization. And, and I had great sponsors and was enjoying what I was doing. Um, I won't say that I never took calls 
Um, I did. I think everyone should. You know, you got to know your worth and you have to. But but when I would lay, you know, those opportunities next to what I was doing, um, I, I always I felt supported. Not always. It wasn't all perfect. Um, you know, but I'm a big believer in don't run from something, run to something. You know, for me, my last 12 years at Gilead, I mean, I switched industries. So, um, you know, it took a while to learn a new industry and really come up to speed. And I think if you're really like me, one who really wants to learn the business, um, I, I really value the length of time and the opportunity to grow and develop in all of those roles. Yeah, so I'd love to dig into that choice about switching industries, right? So you already had spent more than 20 years in the technology industry. You had come up the ranks and you could have you know, stayed in the industry and maybe gone and become a CFO uh, of a major public technology company, but you made the choice to go to a completely different industry. So why and, and what was the motivation behind that choice? Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I had an offer to join another large tech company as well as a couple of small ones. And I think by this point in my career, Tejo, I, I also was looking at mission, you know, what was important to me? Um, you know, is this some place where I kind of really believe in what the company is doing? And when I got the call to interview for the Gilead role and I just researched the company, I was really intrigued by the mission and what we were doing. And I'll, and I'll also just say, I've always been one to just step back and be open to the journey. It was a bold move, particularly going in as a CFO, but my view was, look, you've spent 20 plus years building a great reputation in tech. Um, tech was consolidating a lot and I knew wherever I went, more than likely there was gonna be some type of MA that was that would have been my third. And so I just said, you know, be open to the possibility. I felt I had bit, built good connections. So if I wanted to go back, I could, I figured I'd give it three years and see, and, and I loved it. It wasn't a perfect transition, but I, I loved learning and, um, you know, it, it ended up working out. And, you know, again, it was part of a journey and I was just open to um, taking a chance, worrying less about failure and more about the possibility of, of again, creating more breadth and scale. And, you know, in, in the CFO and finance functions, you know, there's a lot of similarities irrespective of industry. So being able to take my skills and translate, I felt for me was again, going to help me grow that depth and breadth of understanding of the finance function and all the other things that a CFO is involved in. So. Got it. But yeah. from Gilead's perspective, huh? no, from, from uh, Gilead's perspective though, uh, you know, you didn't have that experience in the you know, biopharmaceutical industry. How were they thinking about it? And what, what do you think gave them the confidence that, uh, you know, not having the CFO who maybe spent 25 years in that industry, uh, you know, why weren't they looking for uh, somebody with that background? And then, you know, and, and do companies typically make those choices to go way out of your industry and bring in uh, someone else? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I remember asking the same thing. You know, I don't know this industry um, I'm not even necessarily um, adept at, at the science, but I was willing to learn. I think one of the things, you know, back to your question of, of why stay, I really always have enjoyed and felt it important for anyone in a key role to understand the operations, to understand the business. So I was very intrigued 
again, by the business and was willing to roll up my sleeves and really learn and understand it. Um, and when I asked what were they looking for, they were looking for someone that could help them scale. I had spent time in Europe, so I could help build up European operations, you know, systems, processes, good financial operation. As a matter of fact, my predecessor had never been a CFO. You know, he was a, um, uh, a scientist. And so he had moved in that role and it was like, okay, how do we, you know, how do we continue to think about scale and think about the core competencies of a CFO? And, and I will say, and I remember kind of getting familiar that a couple of folks were like, I, I didn't know for sure if this was gonna work. So I think it was an experiment on their side as well, which I think the combination of people bringing their expertise and skill set, and for me being open and receptive to learning was important. And I, and I will say, I think as much as there's nuances and differences, there are a lot of commonalities, I think, in you know, um, very innovative, um, whether it's um, science or whether it's um, software engineering. I mean, you're still dealing with very technical, passionate people that want to change the world. So I, I, I candidly would say there were more similarities culture-wise in terms of the different, different business models, but in terms of really working with high energetic people that want to change the world, make a difference, very adept that their skill and knowledge, et cetera. And so again, back to thinking about places where I thrive, I saw a lot of that in the folks at Gilead and, and thought I'd give it a try and, and uh, see if it would work. That's awesome. So now let's talk a little bit about trade-offs, right? And if the long-term goal is to become a public company CFO, right? And how do you think about it? What's your advice on working at much earlier stage startups versus more established companies, uh, you know, that have been around a while? And how do you think about the pros and cons and the trade-offs involved if the long-term goal is to become a CFO? So it's a good question. And I would have to say, I've never worked at a startup. So I'm going to give you my perception of what that's like. Um, I think it's less about where you work and more about the experiences that you're going to get. Right. So again, for me, and even I remember when I went overseas at PeopleSoft, which was my first role where I spent three years in Germany and then in the Netherlands, we were kind of a startup within a large company. Um, and so, so I think what was important was how can you add value? How can you scale? Um, I think being around complex issues, you know, global organizations, again, had formal rotation programs. So I always had people I could learn from. And I would say the one thing that if you think about becoming a CFO, your breadth of responsibility is so broad and so wide and covers so many different areas. You should think about the roles leading up to that as what gives you those opportunities. And I think in some startups, maybe you can get those. I think there are some innovative ways you can get that. But the one thing I always tell folks is when you think about, you know, scaling, a most startups want to scale to become big companies. And at some point, because I get a lot of those calls, it's like we need people to come in and help us think about scale and growing, you know. And so if you've had those skills, particularly early on, and you've had exposure to broader organizations, I think it gives you more opportunities to touch up on different parts of an organization that maybe you wouldn't be able to, to do. 
And like I said, the, the other side of that is when you're in a smaller company, you do get to touch everything. It's just how you do it. So I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think it's really finding where do you thrive? Where do you grow? What environment are you looking for? Um, you know, as companies get big, can you deal with the ambiguity? Can you deal with some inherent bureaucracy associated with that? Just be sure that you're getting all of those different types of experiences, because I think that's what makes people successful as CFOs. Yeah. And so on the related note, you know, if you look at uh, the early part of your career, Tandem and, and Tablesoft, that was where you kind of really grew uh, and went up the uh, ladder, right? And you know, if you think about what set you apart as you are progressively growing, because not everybody gets there, it's kind of a narrowing pyramid at the top, right? And what do you think set you apart? And in general, when you you know, now look back and look at, you've been a CFO for a long time, you're on the board now, what sets the people apart who, who do manage to you know, uh, go up that ladder and become CFOs and, and maybe those who stall out at some level uh, you know, on the journey, right? And, and what, what are your lessons on that? Oh, it's, it's a great question. I mean, I think I was a, a hard worker like a lot of people are, but what, what distinguished me, I think I was willing to take the risk or raise my hand for the big, ugly, uh, the hairy project, you know, implementing systems. Um, again, um, and I tell folks this, when I went in a room to talk with one of my business partners, I didn't go in with my HP 12 CC, I'm dating myself calculator and the numbers. How can I help? You know, what's, what's the business I want to understand. And I think a lot of people saw that I truly had an interest in wanting to roll up my sleeves and really understand the business. I, you know, back to these different rotations, I remember being a manager and being pulled out of a manager's role um, and put in an individual contributor role on a team where most of the people were two to three levels above me. But it was probably one of those experiences that at the time I didn't fully appreciate, but I was open to it. And I really learned how to influence without authority, how to, you know, everyone's got a million things to do and here comes this person, right? That's gonna bug them about something. But, you know, so I knew I had to have a, a case. I had to find a way to, help them realize why what I was pitching added value. So it was the opportunity to really build those skills over time, you know, all which as you sit back and, you know, become a C-suite executive, you find a lot of those things are really important, you know. So in, in summary, you know, be open to different poss um, possibilities, um, be willing to take on the difficult projects, go in and spend time with people that are where you want to be. You know, I would I would say whether it's everyone has to eat, whether it's lunch or just 10 minutes. And it wasn't, I wanted everybody to be my mentor, but it was, hey, I'd love to better understand what you do. It wasn't all about me. It was really how can I help? How can I add value? Always pushing myself to really learn something new. I'm a continuous learner by heart and I have a natural curiosity. So I was just always opening to wanting to learn and build and grow and build and bring, you know, build additional depth. Never want to be bored. Awesome. So, you know, obviously you've learned a lot over the course of your career, but everybody starts somewhere, right? And this is an interesting thing that I, uh, uh, that I like to learn about from everybody who I talk to about, you know, the background that they start with that helps maybe become a CFO or not. 
some people come from an investment banking background, some CFOs come from you know, an audit background. You yourself had a couple of years of audit uh, experience uh, the uh, very early uh, part of your career, right? And so how have you thought about, but, but you went into these operational roles very quickly and you didn't like spend you know, six, seven, eight years in, in an audit role and, and then come into uh, operating roles. You got in there in tandem computer quite soon. Uh, did it make a difference one way or the other, that, that audit experience? And in general, when you look at other CFOs you might be advising now, you, you talked about how in Gilead, you know, the CFO didn't have, he was a scientist. And, and so what have you learned over the course of your career about where you start and the kind of background you have if the ultimate goal is to be a CFO uh, uh, in a meaningful business? That's a, a great question. I mean, first of all, I think there are different archetypes of CFOs. Um, and I think different archetypes work at different times at different stages of companies. You know, if you think about, you know, treasurers or bankers, if you're raising money or you're thinking about funding, you know, that those are great skills to have. If you're thinking about scaling, you know, people um, with operational experience that, that, you know, know how to, to build systems, how to think about capital allocation and, you know, budgeting, those type of skills are important. Um, and I remember when Sarbanes-Oxley came out, it was really helpful to be a CPA and, you know, have an audit background. And I remember for a point in time, a lot of companies post-Enron were looking for people that had audits. So you, you, it builds a certain sense of skepticism. Um, it helps you think about process and how to look at things. And let's face it, no one has all of those things. I mean, I think this is when the role of leadership and managing and building teams, you know, where you have gaps or where teams are thinking of holistically at stepping back, how do I build a team that brings us all these necessary skill sets for the function or the deliverables that we have? Um, so for me, you know, my advice is your background's your background, but most important is build your depth, right? And, and, it, and if you're 12 to 15 years in your career, it's kind of hard to go back and maybe work in public accounting and become a CPA, but maybe you want to do a rotation and internal audit. Maybe you want to just spend some time with your controller. You know, I always tell people that I had in the FPA group, go spend time building the 10K, you know, be a part of that process. You know, if you're in accounting, go spend, even if it's three to four months, go work um, and, you know, prepare for the press release. Understand how we put the story together behind the numbers versus just preparing the numbers. So it, I think it's important whether your company offers it. And that was one of the things I always felt important having gone through those type of cultures and companies, the importance of building out skill sets and capabilities that finance professionals may not normally have. And also rewarding and promoting people that not only go up a functional area, but that they build that breadth in other areas. And I think if you build that philosophy, you end up building, I used to call it the next generation of CFOs. Got it. That's great. Now, let's talk a little bit about the, the mistakes and, and the screw-ups maybe that first-time CFOs uh, make, right? And so what were your lessons there? And if you were to share some uh, advice with uh, you know, all of our listeners, what were the biggest maybe mistakes you made and, and uh, what did you take away from them? Yeah, I mean, the first time's always the toughest. You don't know what you don't know. 
I, I, I would say for me, I think it's, again, and we all do this, right? You play to your strengths, right? But as a CFO, because you're, you know, you've got to work with, with the street, you've got to work with the leadership team, you've got to build your finance team. I remember we had an issue in the accounting area. Well, that was kind of my background. That was my previous role. And so your first reaction, it might dive in, fix this and focus and, you know, I'll get to everything else because if I'm really successful at this, you know, I'll prove myself. And it was probably exactly the wrong thing to do because there were so many other things more important as a CFO at the time. And so I think it is, again, back to building those team and being able to realize that your role as a leader is not always to dive in. Although there are times when you have to dive in, it's to build up the capabilities and ensure that you know you build those mechanisms of understanding when we have rough patches or issues how do we resolve it as a team where do i play and what do i need to do um, but again i go back to i think the most important thing as a first-time cfo is to learn the team that you're a part of um, build a trust with the ceo um, and also get to know your investors second time around i spent a lot of time first time to really reach out to my investors and understand how did they feel about the company? You know, what were some of their issues? What did they see? You know, it was the one time where they're not pinging me with questions where I could turn around and ask them questions. So second time around, I took much better advantage of kind of reaching out and, and, and thinking about that as a, as a first step and really focusing on exploring those areas in the business and places that I was less familiar with versus what I was very familiar with and knew was kind of broken. Got it. Uh, on the related note, uh, on the related note, as as you were going through that journey, uh, were there areas where you were like, you knew you were not that great at? Obviously, you've gotten to where you are because you were great at a lot of things. But I'm assuming there were areas where you're like, oh, that's not an area that I'm really good at. And have you been the kind of person where you identify those areas for self improvement, and then you have a plan for how you go work at it and get better at it, or is it more kind of organic? And then if there were areas that you weren't that great at, what were a couple of them that you had to work at and get better at without which you would not have been able to go become the successful CFO that you uh, did, right? I, but at the end, but I think you were asking, um, you know, what were areas, how did I know areas that I wasn't, I wasn't good at and how did I think about that area? Um, but you know, I would say um, you're, you're, you're never good at everything. And one of the things that I've learned, um, particularly as I've gotten more mature and, and, and further in my career is, is being open and receptive to, to feedback and learning and realizing that you don't know everything. And, and also realizing as a leader that the best thing you can do is hire people that are smarter than you. Um, but I think specific for me, the things that I never really enjoyed was public speaking. And, um, but in the role as a CFO, you have to do that with your employees. You have to do that with, with Wall Street. And I had to practice a lot till it became very, and, I, and particularly when I went to Gilead, not being a scientist, it was really hard for me to talk about our products and everything. So I had to find venues and places that were less risky to really figure out how to formulate the story about our company and where we were going in a way that was comfortable for me. So again, knowing what, what I could understand, you know, so versus drilling into this 
science, maybe I could talk about the mechanisms or the impact on the patient, you know, or, or the, the reimbursement system. So how do you build up your skill sets to be able to tell those stories in a way that's comfortable for you? And, and really just putting yourself out there. I think learning how not to be the shrinking violet or, okay, I have an opinion. How do I articulate it? You know, you know, being authentic, being honest, but, but spending a lot of time practicing and getting comfortable with that. And I said, the best thing you can do is to face a fear. Everyone has something that they're not necessarily good at. You can avoid it or you can just deal with it head on. And for me, it was the latter, deal with it head on and keep putting myself, like I said, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, keep putting myself in those uncomfortable positions until voila, I'm better at this, I can do this now, right? You're, you're and not to say that you never get nervous or that it's always gonna be perfect, but it's really dealing with it head on. Got it, now that is so refreshing to hear because that is such a common theme among super successful people is to force yourself outside your zone of comfort but once you realize that you have to get better at something to get to your ultimate goal, right? So that's, that's awesome to uh, hear. And, uh, you know, Robin, also, you are an outlier in so many different ways. But one way also is that when you look at large public company CFOs, you are a minority among minorities, right? You're a woman. There aren't that many women, women CFOs. You're an African-American, not that many of them at all. And, and w w did that hold you back in, in your career at all? And, how did you kind of get across all of those, uh, uh, you know, hurdles that that are put up uh, in, in that were put up in front of you? Great question. I I think and talk about this a lot, and I actually think one of my personal goals is to change that to have see more women and underrepresented minorities um, in the finance profession, etc. I, I I think there are a couple of things. Did it hold me back? Probably in some cases, but I you use the word me. It didn't help hold me back. I think other people may have had pause, but I didn't spend a lot of time being a victim about it. I, you know, again, I tried to find places where I could find sponsorship or support along with my desires. And one of the things that I think going way back, I re, I've always remembered, and I tell my kids the same thing. I had parents who really believed and taught me believe that I could do anything that I wanted to do if I was willing to work hard enough. And that was really, really important to me because there were times when I didn't accomplish certain things I wanted to do. And I would ask myself, do you want it bad enough? But if I knew I wanted it bad enough, there was no stopping me. And it didn't mean that it was going to be easy or that it was always going to happen in that current situation. But again, I became self-aware to know if this is something I really want, what are you gonna do? How are you going to build your platform to accomplish it? So, I mean, I think again, that, that self-awareness and, and self-assurance is really, really important, but more importantly, okay, back to the play to your strengths. What don't you know, set yourself up to learn or do that. Um, and again, you, you know, if, if you even take today, I think there's more and more awareness of the real value of diversity and inclusion. And, you know, throughout my career, I've had some wonderful sponsors that were willing to give me the opportunity and chance. And it wasn't that I didn't make mistakes, but they were able to help bridge me with those gaps that I had and allowed me to develop. 
um, and grow. And, and they, they have that same belief and faith in me. And that wasn't all of my leaders and managers. I'm not saying it was perfect, um, but I think the combination of those sponsors working hard, being strategic, you know, having a plan, owning and managing my career and knowing, you know, these are areas and things that I need to build on. These are places where I'm going to be most successful, where I'm passionate about. I think those are, those are things that you can own. You can't own however everyone reacts to you, but you can own how you present yourself and your ability to make a different choice if your current one isn't working. Got it. Now that's that's really inspiring, and you you now have kind of moved on to maybe as a second phase of your career. Maybe you know maybe there are many more phases. I don't know in, in your plan, but you are chapter another chapter <laughs> another chapter. Okay, so in in this chapter you're you're a board member. You're you're you know you you have a lot of uh, demanding board roles at some of the you know, most well known companies uh, in the world. But from the outside, it almost all of us have this impression of you know sitting on the board being an easy job, right? Hey, you're you're kind of holding management teams accountable, and you're advising and you're mentoring, which all of which I'm sure you're you're doing. But uh, you know, as I've dug into this world and and spent more time with CFOs of uh, larger public companies uh, and board members in these companies, you know, what I've learned at least is that it is so demanding. There is so much effort that goes into it. It you know, and being on so many boards of such large public companies, it almost seems like a full-time job of its own, right? But how have you thought about that second chapter? And and is it you know, is it a full-time job for you pretty much at this point? Um, yes. I mean, I, I I think for me, my board roles are part of a portfolio thing of things at this point in my, my life that I wanna be involved, involved in, that I'm spending more time in some of my not-for-profit not areas. I am very passionate, as I just mentioned, about continuing to develop the next set of, of CFOs and board members, particularly for underrepresented minorities. So I spend a lot of time there. You know, the board roles are interesting. You know, I'm on large bowls, I'm bowl, boards. I've also been on um, small boards and, and candidly, I think some of the earlier stage, which I'm highly intrigued and interested in, and I'm working with a, a few pre-IPO companies um, because it's different, right? You're they're, you're building expertise. The CEOs are coming to you to ask about how do I build my organization? How am I thinking about my business model versus on some of my larger boards? Yes, you're absolutely called on. You know, for instance, at Alphabet, there are certain areas where I, my expertise is stronger and or where the CEO has said focus here and, and, you, and you do that. But the team is, is usually pretty strong, but there's the governance aspect of things. There's also just stepping back and maybe asking the questions or thinking about things differently. But yeah, they're, they're not, um, <laughs> they're, it's not to be taken lightly. And I think particularly in the current environment as you think around governance and, you know, I'm an audit chair and uh, a leader for another committee on another board. and. Yeah, there are a lot of things that, that you work proactively with a company to focus on. And, and um, I actually had um, two board roles when I was a full-time CFO. So managing that also was difficult, but it, but it was good because I, I think there was, a, there was a lot of benefit to stepping out of my day job and thinking about things as a board role that I think really helped me be a better CFO as well. So no, these are not perfunctory, show up at a meeting, you know, read a lot of data, 
and leave, right? You really do have to roll it. I mean, I wake up in the morning if I'm listening to news or reading the paper, it's you're thinking about the industries, not only just your company, but the industries within, you know, which your, your boards um, reside and what are some of the, the, the you know, the, the latest things or trends or whatever that could impact your companies over time. Got it. So that's awesome. I'm going to change directions a little bit. And I, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, management and leadership and hiring and all of those things that are super important uh, as you're kind of operating as a CFO. Uh, let's start with, you talked about sponsors and, and, and mentors who are helpful, people you learn from. How important overall, when you look at the arc of your career, uh, were mentors along that journey? And, and if they were Important, did you go, do you have a structure to it? Did you seek people out when you were trying to kind of maybe fill specific gaps in, in your knowledge and things like that? Or was it more organic where, you know, the people you were working with and, and things like that? I would say mine were more organic. I was never part of a formal mentorship program, but I was, again, as I mentioned, um, back at Tandem, we had a very formalized rotation program. So you could kind of say, there were programs set up to help us be successful. And, and it, they weren't choices. Sometimes the positions you were put in were driven by a broader set of folks. So you can kind of say they were mentors. I view them more as sponsors, but I definitely have them. Um, I have what I call my personal board of directors. So I always had a group of people, including one of my best friends. We've been friends since middle school, people that really knew me, um, people that I had worked with, um, um, not all my bosses, they could be peers, or there was, there was one um, woman that I'm really good for. She was um, a consultant on um, one of my accounts. We went through a lot of really interesting issues that people saw from me have remained very, very good friends. So I have a group of people that I go to, you know, if I'm thinking about our, our career decision, um, my, my husband's one of those, or if I'm thinking about, you know, making a change in my career or taking on a board role where I can kind of work through um, how to think about things based on people that I believe know me or are interested um, in my best interest. And, you know, they're, they're not folks that agree with everything, but they're able to pull me back or say, ah, have you thought about it this way? So I think call them a group of advisors um, has also been instrumental to me in addition to, to mentors, which I, I think is one of the primary roles of mentors is, is to help with that or help you see things or about yourself or about the situation that you may not know necessarily totally comprehend in the moment. Got it. And now that you know the roles are reversed and, and you know, you're spending a lot of time being the mentor and yep. you know in terms of uh, let's say uh, as a board member right when you are also mentoring the the CFO and the teams that uh, that uh, are in the company how do you approach that? Like, how does a board member typically even engage with uh, the finance teams, uh, you know, in a large company like a Google or a Salesforce or maybe uh, any other company you may be on the board? I mean, like I said, on two of my boards, um, I am official members of the audit committee. One, I'm audit chair. One of my boards, I, I attend and monitor it because it's it's helpful to me to really learn the business. Um, but yeah, you, I mean. It's not much different than other mentor relations. I think the best thing board members can do is listen um, and ask good questions. I mean, you're not there to be part of management, but yes, you are called on to mentor, to help, 
you know, outside of meetings, um, for instance, on one of my boards, we brought on a new head of internal audit. She had come from a different background. And so I was called up on to help her think about how do you onboard in this role? What are some of the things that you need to think about? Um, whether it's, it's career advice or we're approaching this implementation or we are going to do a debt raise, you know, who are some people that you might want to think of? This is our inaugural debt raise. So I think given your experiences and mine as a CFO, you are called up on to think about that succession planning. You know, one of the things responsibility of a board, even in the finance team, is to understand the team one to two levels below the CFO. So part of my board meetings are always, um, let's think about bringing in one of the leaders, particularly one that we may not see all the time and hear about their journey, hear about some of their projects and what they're doing. So assessing talent, it could be interviewing for new roles, thinking about people that don't work at the company that may be a good fit for open roles. I think as board members, you can play all aspects of those things in helping a company be successful. Got it. And, and also staying on the theme of management, last question is about, uh, you know, your own ability to manage, build teams, because as you go higher and higher, you become a CFO, so much of that job is just not you doing the job day to day. It's about building the teams, about keeping them motivated. It's about, you know, inspiring them. And did that come naturally to you? Were you, you know, always uh, uh, a born leader or is that something you had to work at? And was it one of those areas that you had to put out yourself outside your zone of comfort and get better at? Yeah, it's a great, I, I would say I've always been fascinated with the human capital aspect of business. And, you know, whether it's being in, in remote teams, I remember being overseas and having that aha moment of how, you know, all of my colleagues felt when, you know, it's the end of your day and it's the first and start of the day and everyone's, hey, let's, let's, let's all get on board with this. But I, I think just, just, having that social awareness of people and people development, um, I would say those are always areas that have really, really been important to me. And to your point, knowing that, look, um, no organization or, or no one person, you know, in an organization can do everything. I've always felt it was really important to one, be a good manager. And I remember when I took my first manager's role, um, my my manager said to me, look, the, the, the opportunity for, he, for you here is, you know how to do the technical work. It's to step back and to train others. And you know, they say the best skill that you can have is how do you train others? And as you increase your breath, it's not necessarily that you're gonna know all the detailed steps, but how do you create the team? How do you ask the questions? How do you provide the framework so that others can go off and thrive? And I think that is a difference between good leaders, right? That they allow others to shine, um, that they build appropriate bridges, that they support, but at the same time, they also get out of the way and realize that they're not gonna do it exactly the way you did. They're gonna make mistakes and you're there to help them pick up, but not always to really, you, you gotta allow that to happen. People allowed that to happen for me. So I, I think one of the biggest roles that a CFO can play for their team is to really be a great leader and great leaders are building the next generation of future CFOs. And that is sometimes giving people hard feedback. That's sometimes pushing them to do things that they wouldn't normally do and taking them out of 
their comfort zone. Um, it's sometimes, you know, sitting with them and saying, let's work through this together. And I, I, and every person's different, but I think it's the greatest gift that you can give to a team is to be a great leader. Awesome. So uh, quick note to everybody, I have a few more questions for Robin, but then I'm going to jump to audience questions. I see that a few have already come in, but a reminder that there's a Q&A button at the bottom of uh, the Zoom window that you can use to ask your question. So Robin, uh, you know, also quickly on, on the role of uh, uh, finance in companies, right? And uh, especially in larger complex organizations, the relationships that a CFO builds with other uh, areas of the business, the CEO, there are so many stakeholders that you're trying to you know, build bridges with and maintain good relationships with. And so tell me a little bit about the lessons learned around that, right? Like, you know, were you always good at kind of reaching out and having those relationships with the head of sales, head of marketing, head of product, and everybody needs and wants something from you all the time. And, uh, and you sometimes end up in this position of being the person who has to say no and, and all the time. And how do you balance that uh, relationship aspect, uh, you know, in the CFO role? Yeah, I, I think the CFO role, other than the CE role, this is when this becomes really, really important, right? And I, I always tell folks, look, as the CFO, again, the, another reason to build a team, it's one of those roles where you probably spend the least amount of time with the team because you're working with the investors, you're working with the CEO, and you're working with that team. So clearly building relationships is important and you have to find a way to, to listen, um, be empathetic, be engaged, but also to be neutral and consistent, right? And you're right. I mean, one of the key relationships with a, with a revenue base is, is the head of sales. And I must say that, you know, over my tenure as a CFO and and as a, a key finance leaders in a lot of companies, I've always coveted building a good relationship. Now, it's always great when things are good. And they, some of them have been tenuous when things are bad. I can, I can share war stories. But I think realizing and being upfront with how do we engage, you know, your role, my role, you know, how do we both give the right information to our boss? You know, how do we balance being aligned? But also my job is to share sometimes or to say no that's not what I'm seeing um, and I think always being candid and honest is in and in, in, in operating with high integrity is important and I would say whether it's the head of sales or other roles I believe that all of those other peers that I work with knew that I was definitely a listener you know focused on making them successful but not afraid to tell them when I thought something was incorrect, but I did it in a way that was with high integrity, that if I knew that I had to tell the CFO or the CEO something, it's like, look, this is the facts, this is what I'm gonna share. And as I said, there's nothing that I wouldn't share with them that I wouldn't also share with someone else. So it is about building relationships, engaging, um, you know, being authentic um, and, and being engaged. And, and there are, I'd say some of my, the breakthroughs were the relationships when those tough times came or we didn't agree and maybe we arm wrestled, maybe we yelled at each other, but on the side of that, there was mutual respect. And um, I think you have to garner that as a CFO to be successful in that role. Got it. Got it. And also, so speaking of, uh, you know, corporate governance, which is kind of the flip side of that, right? Where 
uh, you know, we've seen all these stories of, of uh, horror stories of things, badly managed companies and, and things like that. But the CFO is in a tricky position, usually, right? They're seen as by the board, usually as the adult in the room, the keeper of, you know, uh, uh, you know good habits and hygiene and all of that. And uh, But then the CFO also can get into a tough spot if uh, the CEO, for example, is the one who isn't really in line with that and aligned with that. You know, I don't know if you've had the, cha- or, the maybe misfortune of being in situations like that, but what's your advice on if, if a CF, as a CFO or a finance leader in general, you end up in that situation where you are not seeing eye to eye with your CEO or others, what do you think is the right way to handle situations like that? And what is the role of the CFO in overall corporate governance uh, in the business? Great question. And even if it doesn't happen at the C-suite level, if you're a divisional CFO or if you're supporting a a unit, it could happen. So I used to always tell my team, you're right, we we have a fiduciary responsibility along with the general counsel to be sure that we're doing the right things. And I think, you know, again, as a finance professional, your brand and your reputation for doing the right thing and ensuring that that integrity um, remains, particularly in the set of financials that you deliver is of utmost importance. Now, the role of the CEO is broader than that, as well as could be that general manager leader and their role is to deliver. And how do you find that right balance? So I may not always agree with the method, but if it's not illegal or if we're not doing anything that's ill-advised, you know, then I have to understand, you know, I, I'm involved, but ultimately the vision is set, but there's a line, right? And there are times when, whether it be the rules, the regulations, you know, in terms of public companies, you're governed by the SEC and others, you know, it's my job to know those rules. And it, all, my, my, my approach to this has always been, it's not about saying it, no, it's about how do you get to yes? These are the parameters. This is a framework. To get to yes, we have to do these things, right? If we can't get these things done or meet these criteria, the answer is no. So again, it's about being forthright that I don't want the answer to be no, but this is what I need. And I think that that is the framework within which you know, one of the critical things that I think you have to learn to not only be a CFO, but a finance professional is being forthright, articulate, succinct. Doesn't mean that they want to know all the details and all the rules and regulations, but how do I talk in a clear crystal fashion to that leader to say, here's what I need to get to yes. Got it. I guess the other way to think about it is, hey, I I like you, but not enough to go to prison for you, right? Well, we always, yeah, I'm not going to wear orange, right? But you know, like, and most people want to do the right thing. I mean, if, if that's the case where you don't feel that you're working in a culture that wants to do the right thing, you should get up and leave it. One of my best advices that I ever got from uh, what my professor in the MBA program was, you know, have an FU fun, right? So you never want to put yourself in a position in some of these roles. And if you truly feel that integrity is not high, or if we're not about doing the right thing, that's not a place that you're going to be successful or want to be. Got it. So I'm going to ask you the last question, Robin, before we go to uh, you know listener questions is around the future, right? And you, you've done this for a while. You've seen maybe I, I can I should start a little bit with 
uh, how you've seen the role itself evolve over the last 25, 30 years that you've been doing it. Has it changed a lot? What has changed and maybe what has stayed the same? I mean, I think the complexity of running organizations has changed tremendously. Speed at decision making, you know, understanding and spotting trends. Um, I, I think still at the core is really understanding the business and operations because therefore you can understand the trends, you know, being adaptable and agility. I still think there are core um, traits that still remain. Um, but I do think, you know, you see CFOs taking on broader operational roles. You see, um, you know, I, you know, didn't just have the finance function. I had information technology in, in you know, my two CFO roles. Um, you know, I, I, I had the facilities, you know, um, roles. You, some have M&A, strategy. You know, you're, you're kind of involved in all those different areas if you think about system implementation, it's really interesting. I've been, I'm preparing for a panel. And if you think about the latest crisis, a lot of CFOs are the leader or very involved in back to work, right? And how do I get people back to work? What are the things that I need to think about? What's changing about my business model? So, um, you know, I, I think the ability to, uh, I would also add data and analytics, you know, access to information. I think these are all, skills and techniques and, and again I think being a continuous learner and having curiosity you know being will I tell my kids this all you you have to learn how you learn and how to teach yourself because you've got to be current there's never been a more important time to reach out to peers I heard you mention that thing, and network how are you looking at this I think it's so important when you're in these c-suite roles to have a group of peers and others that you can share of course you're not sharing confidential information but how did you go about these things? So I, I think, you know, being networked, um, you know, project management skills, um, you know, again, understanding M&A and, and really thinking through different business models, being a great allocator of capital. I think that's always been important, but I think it's increasingly more important with, you know, the continued pressures of the, you know, shareholders uh, want companies to, Meet. You know, also, if you think about ESG, this is another growing area where a lot of CFOs, a lot of our investors aren't only thinking about the financial results. They want to understand, you know, where the company sits in a broader amount of areas, you know, communities matter. You know, we've gone from talking about shareholders to talking about stakeholders, right? So the CFOs have to really be thinking about a broad set of issues and groups, I think, particularly in more complex, larger scale corporations, right? The regulatory environment. So there are a lot of areas that you need to focus on and be astute about. Got and it. Awesome. That's, that's super helpful. And Robin, I, I could go on for another hour, but I want to make sure that we have 10 more minutes and I less than 10 minutes. I want to make sure I get to the audience questions and reminder to everybody to go ahead and use the Zoom functionality to ask your question. But before I jump into that, a quick, you know, five second plug for uh, Airbase. Uh, if you would like to learn more, we're a spend management platform for mid-market companies. Laura is going to put up a quick survey. If you want to learn more about what we do and how we can potentially help your business, please uh, tell us if you're interested and, and we'll reach back out to you. And uh, 
Uh, that's great. So now jumping into the audience questions, uh, Robin. So, you know, here's, here's one from an anonymous uh, uh, attendee, but, you know, what are some of the biggest challenges that a CFO faces when you're rapidly scaling up a business, right? And, uh, you know, what, should, what would you advise that they maybe keep top of mind before it's too late and before things break, right? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I always characterize our role as if you think about just the whole GNA function, right? It's, you know, but I you think about the end, I grew up in the Midwest, the Indy car races, right? You come into the pit stop and your goal is you've got to keep tuning the car, but you don't want to slow its pace, right? So how do you do that efficiently and effectively, right? So um, I do think um, it's tough, right? Because you know, and it's it's interesting because when there's a rocket ship going, no one really wants to deal with the budget. It's kind of a waste of time, you know, but but you have to think about making the investment. You still have to think about building the right skill set of individuals to work with the business that one can keep pace and understand the change and provide support. So I, I think balancing the right resources you know, the right technologies, but but also you as a CFO, you just have to have priorities. You can never do everything, but you need to think about what are the two to three critical things that if this is wrong, we're gonna halt or impede the business. And that varies, you know, by business or by the stage. But I, but I think if you really focus on the priorities, you know, be sure they're aligned with your CEO but most importantly, be sure that you're articulating that to the team because there's usually a lot of balls in the air. So your ability to ensure that you've got alignment across the organization and within your team on what are the priorities, what has to get done, what has to be right. I think that's how you're successful. And you know, you have to be agile because that could change as well. Got it. And I see uh, two questions that are kind of related. Uh, you know, it's around, you, you talked about how relationships, experience, mentorship, that's been important in, in your own journey. Uh, what role has education played and, and do does an MBA or a CPA really help move things forward? Uh, you know, the related uh, question was around being in a role where uh, you've done well, but you have self-taught uh, yourself as an accountant. You don't really have a CPA, but would you recommend that people actually think about some of these credentials to help you uh, uh, move forward? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I started the CPA route. So that was, you know, the, the first accreditation I got out of school. And I remember coming to Tandem and coming to the Bay Area and working side by side with a lot of folks that had an MBA. So I've always been one. It's like, well, you know, back to kind of managing your career. If I ever want to continue, I, I need to be sure that I'm accredited appropriately. So, you know, so that allowed me to pursue my MBA. I do think though, you know, the best experience is also just um, being open to different aspects of your career. I've managed and coached individuals that have been farther along in their career to where they're probably never gonna go back and be a CPA. And maybe they've even passed the stage where they can do a stand in internal audit and get that mindset. Well, can we have them manage some areas or functions or the corporate controllership where we've got a strong accountant where they could get some of that exposure because you know as a CFO you want to know that those things are done appropriately you may not 
know all the details, but, you know, between, you know, that chief accountant and your auditors, you need to have enough that when you're, someone's coming to you with those issues, that you have an awareness of what and how you need to react and what's important. So, you know, on the job experience in that case can become really important. So again, I don't think there's any, I think credentials are important. I think experience at some point trumps credentials, particularly if you're in a company and you've developed a good relationship. You know, if you don't have the experience, how can I get it? How can I get exposed? How can I be a mentor paired with someone or take on a project or an assignment that gives me some exposure to these areas that I'm unfamiliar with? Got it. And so I'm going to uh, uh, ask a slight variant of a question I asked earlier. Amy wants to know about the switch from uh, one type of company to another. Industry was obviously a big switch that you made and, and that seemed uh, uh, you know, like something that that was a journey that you had to navigate through. But when you think about a switch from a publicly traded company to a startup or vice versa, you're going from one direction to the other. Maybe your experience is more on the public company, larger company side of things. But when you have hired people from startups right, who come in, what do they usually struggle with? And, and how have, what have you kind of maybe advised them to make that transition smoother and easier for them when they haven't been in this public company uh, environment? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think a lot of times if they're in a, an environment where everyone's doing everything, like I said, I remember when I am and we, there was one other person over, over with me in Europe at PeopleSoft and people would call us, we had to do everything. So you touch everything and, you know, it's like kind of juggling. And sometimes when you move into a larger environment, you have to really drill into a particular function, right? Or, or, or silo for lack of better words. And you know, again, it's it's all about where you are in your journey. If it's depth, if it's breadth that you have at this level, but you're trying to build scale and and depth, then that's what we're going to focus on. So I may have to say, look, you've done a lot of things, but now I need you to increase your expertise in these particular functions, and here's how we're going to do that. So I think it's important for that person and the manager to really analyze and understand. And the manager might not know day one where you come in. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? You know, you know, you as an individual can come to your manager and say, these are areas that I want to grow in. How do we do that? And I think most people are going to be receptive to that. Um, you know, the one the, the one thing that you should never do is to say, well, we we always did it this way. I think you have to be open to, okay, this is different. This is going to be new. I'm here to learn, um, you know, and, and I'm open to embracing the way things are done here. That's how I would approach it. Got it. Awesome. Robin, I, I want to be respectful of your time and everybody else's time. It is uh, noon right now, and I'm sure we could keep going, but thank you so much for joining us. This was fantastic. It was inspiring. You know, I take away a lot of lessons in every one of these conversations that I have. And uh, you know, I appreciate you taking your time out uh, from and what I can only assume is a incredibly busy calendar. And uh, thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. And thanks for doing these forums. I know it's a lot harder with everyone being remote, but um, um, thanks for those that took the time to come join us here. So take yeah, care. And hopefully we can do an in-person thing at some point and then you'll come and join us for that. Awesome. Have a great rest of the day. All right. Bye. Thanks, everyone.